Grace, O Deus, who is like unto God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Canon, very dear faithful, today for the feast of St. Michael the Archangel, Holy Mother Church proposes for us a gospel taken from St. Matthew, in which our Lord is asked the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We know that our Lord placed a child before himself and said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore humbles himself as this little child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let us see in this evening's gospel what humility has to do with so magnificent a figure as St. Michael the Archangel. First, a little context. In the previous chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, we read about how St. Peter was told to pull out a piece of money from a fish and use it to pay the tribute owed to the emperor for himself and for our Lord. St. Jerome, whose feast we celebrate tomorrow, commented that this caused some jealousy among the disciples because they sensed that Peter was in some way being treated as equal to our Lord. For this reason, they asked him the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? St. Jerome continues to explain that Jesus saw their thoughts and decided to give them a lesson in humility by calling a little child into their midst. So let us delve into what our Lord teaches us about this wonderful virtue, and then see how St. Michael the Archangel is such a great example of it. The word humility comes from the Latin noun humilitas, or the adjective humilis, which can be translated as grounded or from the earth. It is the foundation of all the other virtues in the human soul. As St. Paul explains to us in the epistles to the Philippians and the Corinthians, greatness in heaven comes from the virtue of humility and from our striving for virtue. By the virtue of humility, we understand who we are and what is our rightful place before God. We do not consider ourselves suitable for something that God has not willed for us. This would be pride, the sin of Lucifer. By striving for virtue, we strive to keep the Ten Commandments, to do God's will for us, to cooperate with His graces. We know also that God encourages us to greater perfection. For this reason, St. Paul teaches us that we must be zealous for the better gifts, for the higher gifts, Therefore, the virtue of humility is founded on truth. Without truly understanding and accepting who we are, both before our fellow man and before God, we will not be able to understand how to pray to God, to accept His graces, and thereby grow in the spiritual life. St. Thomas explains to us that when our Lord told the disciples to be like little children, he pointed out three properties 
that we must imitate in the spiritual life. We must not seek those things, those high things that God has not reserved for us. Yet at the same time, seeking to perfect ourselves as he wills, we must be free from concupiscence and we must be quick to forgive. We see these qualities in St. Michael the Archangel. He knew his place before God, not desiring in any inordinate way the things that God did not want for him. The humility that we cultivate will necessarily be joined to charity. Contrary to pride, in which there is an inordinate affection and estimation of self, a humble person does not care for his own excellence and does not consider himself worthy for many of them. Because he does not have an inordinate self-love, he desires the excellence that comes from God and loves it more than himself. This love of God and the things from on high will also extend to love of our neighbor. While it is incredible vanity to, came, to claim to have knowledge when one is ignorant and humble to keep silent about our knowledge of things, charity would demand that we share that knowledge to instruct our neighbor when it is profitable for his consolation. St. Michael's humility is all the more impressive to consider if we think of the angelic nature that God created. St. Thomas Aquinas, called the angelic doc doctor, teaches that in the beginning, God created simultaneously two natures, the spiritual and corporal. And afterwards, he created man, who is composed of both. The scale of nature descends by degrees from beings made in, in the likeness of God to those in the very confines of nothingness. And by the same degrees, the creature mounts upwards to his creator. God is infinite being, infinite intelligence, and infinite love. The creature is forever finite, but man endowed with a reasoning intellect and the angel with an intuitive grasp of truth are ever by a continual process of purification widening the bounds of the imperfect nature in order to reach, by an increase of light, the perfection of greater love. God alone is simple with that unchangeable productive simplicity, which is absolute perfection, excluding all possibility of progress. He is pure act in whom substance, power, and operation are one thing. The angel, though entirely independent of matter, is yet subject to the natural weakness necessary to a created thing. He is not absolutely simple. For in the angel, action is distinct from power, and power from essence. So how much greater is the weakness of man's composite nature? Unable to carry on the operations of the intellect without the aid of the senses. Compared with ours, says one of the contemporaries 
of the angelic doctor. How calm and how luminous is the knowledge of pure spirits. They are not doomed to the intricate discoursings of our reason, which runs after the truth, composes and analyzes, and laboriously draws conclusions from premises. The angelic spirits instantaneously apprehend the whole of primary truths. Their intuition is so prompt, so lively, so penetrating, that it is impossible for them to be surprised, as we are, into error. If they deceive themselves, it must be of their own will. The perfection of their will is equal to the perfection of their intellect. They do not know what it is to be disturbed by the violence of appetites. Their love is without emotion, and their hatred of evil is as calm and as wisely tempered as their love. A will so free can know no perplexity in its aims, no inconstancy in its resolutions. Whereas with us, long and anxious meditation is necessary before we make a decision, it is the property of the angels to determine by a single act the object of their choice. God proposed to them, as he does to us, infinite beatitude in the vision of his own essence. And to fit them for so great an end, he endowed them with grace at the same time as he gave them being. In one instant, they said yes or no. And in one instant, they freely and deliberately decided their own fate. Let us not be envious. By nature, the angel certainly is superior to us. But to which of the angels has he said at any time, Thou art my son? The only begotten Son of God did not take to himself the angelic nature. When on earth, he acknowledged temporarily the subordination of humanity to those pure spirits and deigned to receive from them even though, as we do, we, his brethren in the flesh, the announcements of the divine will and help and strength. But God did not subject the world to come to the angels, says the apostle. How can we understand this attraction of God towards what is weakest? We can only worship it in humble, loving faith. This is what St. Michael did. It was Lucifer's stumbling block on the day of the great battle in heaven. But led by St. Michael the Archangel, the faithful angels prostrated themselves in joyous adoration at the feet of the infant God, shown beforehand to them, enthroned on Mary's knee, and then rose up to sing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men of goodwill on that first Christmas day. The spiritual writers tell us that no one was more humble than our Lord. He had taken a position so low that no one could take it from him. He is infinite God, 
who reduced himself to finite man. His condemnation to death was written the day he was born to suffer and die for our sins. He accepted the will of God in bringing man back to his Creator. In chapter 12 of the book of the Apocalypse, St. John tells us that when heaven and earth was created, of all the angels, Lucifer was the most excellent. However, his pride was such that he failed to see that all that he had, he had received from God. He thought himself equal to God, and for this reason refused to accept that God would take upon himself human flesh in the Incarnation. Thus, he refused to bow down before God. By this refusal of the will of God, he and others with him rebelled and were cast out from heaven by St. Michael, whose name translated from Hebrew means, who is like unto God, quis ud Deus. In the end, the Incarnation happened through a lowly handmaid from Nazareth. Our Mother Mary was favored by God precisely because of her humility and given the graces to be the mother of his son. She sang at the visitation, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior because he has regarded the humility of his handmaid. Behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed because he that is mighty has done great things to me, and holy is his name. Satan was defeated by a subordinate officer and a woman. What better response could God give to his pride? St. Michael the Archangel, protector of the church, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.